Welcome to Course Stories, produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team of Ed Plus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU Online designers and faculty. On today's course story, there's something amazing about watching, you know, three great minds get together and kind of work through what can a course look like? What do we want students to take away from this? They get to exchange ideas about how they teach the course across their experiences, which we don't always get to do that as often as we'd like. And so this exchange of ideas, I think, results in a really unique product and unique projects for students to engage in. So I think it just really increases the engagement of an online course overall. Hi, I'm Mary Loader, an instructional designer from ASU Online. I'm Ricardo Leon. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Hey, Mary. Hey, Ricardo. How are you today? I'm really good. I'm very excited. And what are you excited about? I'm excited about a lot of things, but specifically, I'm excited about the story we're going to hear about today, the ENG 471 Literature for Young Adults Collaborative Model for Design. A collaborative model, meaning... Lots of minds coming together and making one product, and I'm wondering how they did it. <laughs> so several instructors working all in one class. Absolutely. Three experts of young adult literature, which how do you decide which experts view to take? I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. So this course covers a broad range of topics surrounding the young adult literature genre. It's also known as YA. You're going to hear a lot of them using YA in the conversation. It covers everything from the history of the genre, its career paths, representation in YA, and even the censorship of those stories. It's a very popular course at ASU. It's fresh and interesting and totally relatable. And the students who take it are studying everything from education to literature to media and marketing. And there's some really unique pedagogical choices that they made in this course that make it a very dynamic experience. So speaking of young adult literature, what is your what was your favorite book growing up as a teen? My favorite book growing up as a teen. I was kind of angsty. So I loved Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Oh, okay, Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I uh, I. Was a catcher in the rye kid and uh, yeah. Jonathan Livingston Siegel. That was a big one for me. I, I, did, I don't know that 1984 counts as a young adult book, but that is definitely something that you know was a formative as a 15 year old. Same, same. Loved that one also because you know dystopian. That was totally my angsty teen years. <laughs> Well, one thing that you're not going to get is a lot of angst from this. Everybody seemed real excited and real plugged in to creating this course. So passionate. There's so much passion going on in the course and in the conversation. I wish I loved anything as much as Dr. Blassingame loves young adult literature. I know. He has such a rich history with the subject as far as his career goes. But then in addition, he's just so engaged. And it's so lovely to hear him and his colleagues talk Mm -hmm. about the experiences they've had and the collation of experiences that they put (laughs) together in this course. It's really unique. Well, Mary, tell us a little bit about who's going to be uh, conducting the interview this time. Well, we're really lucky because we're joined by Christine Moore. She's a very talented instructional designer. She works across many programs. Um, But this program is not necessarily within her direct wheelhouse. I mean, she's pretty much our military affairs connection at ASU Online (laughs) uh, with her history and her family. So it's an interesting space for her to be in. And she has really created a unique opportunity with these faculty to hear what their perspectives are, and also loop in the director of online programs for the English department. We're just really in for a treat today. And you're going to hear a little more from Christine later on in the season as well. Absolutely. She is 
connected everywhere. So we're going to hear, I'm sure, many course stories from Christine and her faculty. <laughs> Great. Let's get on with it. So we have a lot of folks around the table today. So please give us your name, what you teach, what your research focuses on, and how many years you have taught this particular course. Dr. Blassingame, we'll start with you. Thank you, Jim Blassingame. And for the last few years, the only thing that I have taught has been young adult literature, uh, mostly for undergrads, sometimes the, the graduate course. I've been teaching the undergraduate person-to-person in-person course for about 22 years, and the online course since its early inception at the Virginia Piper Writing Center when they had the Your Novel Year commercial set of classes for uh, aspiring young adult authors. And I think that that was about 12 years ago. Oh, and my research focuses mostly on, um, well, young adult literature. But in the past year, I've published seven chapters on indigenous authors of young adult literature, and then also on school shootings and teen suicide. So a well-rounded background with this particular age group. Dr. Sybil Durand. Hi, so I'm Sybil Durand, and at ASU, I teach courses in young adult literature on methods of teaching English and methods of Uh, conducting research in the English classroom. My research focuses on young adult literature broadly, um, looking at representations of youth of color in young adult literature, both the books that are published in the U.S. and the ones that are published internationally, as well as how young people and how teachers engage these texts or what do they do with them. And I have actually never taught this version of this course, this online version of young G471, but I have taught different iterations of it. So the online graduate version of the course, and then the undergrad and grad version of the in-person course. Great. Thank you for being here today. Dr. Gabriel Acevedo. Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Gabriel Acevedo. Here at ASU, I teach methods courses for English educators, young adult literature, especially the master's courses, um, research methods, and I have the opportunity to teach a graduate course this semester, um, English 606. I've been teaching young adult literature for six years now at the college level. I haven't taught this particular course, but I have taught the um, graduate version of this course online, and I've taught other courses on young adult literature throughout my teaching career. Um, Some of my research interests are queer young adult literature, Latinidad in queer young um, adult literature, teacher identity, and Caribbean queerness identities. And I try to bridge all of those together from a teaching lens and a pedagogical perspective. So we have a wide range of expertise with us today. Kind of the ringleader of all of that is Dr. Kathleen Hicks. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes, I'm Kathleen Hicks, and I serve in the capacity of Director of Online Programs for the Department of English. And in this role, I primarily work with faculty on projects such as this. We work closely together to develop online courses across our five different online programs. And one of the things we've worked hard to implement is the collaborative development model we're talking about today. So I'm excited to talk about how it worked out in this particular class. This is one where you were dragged in from the very beginning. It was. I think, think too, um, this might have been the first course that I was assigned to on my own. 
um, because I had started with ASU, it's been about 18 months now. And that summer, I had gone through kind of all of my preliminary training and the ways of ASU online. And um, I got assigned ENG. It had actually been uh, passed from a couple of different um, instructional designers for various reasons. And when it landed in my lap, I said, why would anybody leave this program? This is great. This is great. Kathleen and I hit it off right from the beginning. And then this course was just so fun to work on. And it also really introduced me to the possibilities of ASU Online. I think this course does just an excellent job of bringing together all the different types of modalities and expertise and focuses on the different types of students that we have. And I've been able to apply that to every other course going forward. Something from this particular project gets applied to everything else that I've worked on since then. And so having it been such a positive experience, you know, your expertise and your work has just benefited other students in other programs. And um, I am really appreciative of that experience. Let's get started with some of the course basics. This course can be scaled to up to as many as 120 students, and it runs regularly, nearly every single session since the course was built. The main module topics are history of YA, censorship, representations of queer, race, ethnicity, disability, and mental health stories. And students can select from a long list of novels in each module that relate to the topics covered based on their interest. The course also contains an entire module on the career paths available in YA where students can actually choose the learning materials they'd like to explore based on their own interests and their own course of studies. And finally, we have a podcasting project as the course's final major assessment, which the richness and popularity of this project could really be the subject of a podcast in and of itself. Well, let's get started with our questions because we have a lot of them for you all today. Jim, Dr. Blassingate, well, how would you like me to refer to you today? <laughs> Do we all want to be on a first name basis? <laughs> yes, yes, please. Definitely. please. Absolutely. All right, Jim, um, I think it might be safe to say that you are a veteran of the group. You have taught at ASU, you write, you do workshops for the young adult community all over Arizona and other places. You even helped my daughter find a young adult book club to help scratch that itch for her. So maybe you can start off by telling us why is YA so popular and why is it such an exciting topic right now? I've been working on a book chapter on the history of the relationship between publishing houses and young adult literature. And I've been tracing a quotation back and back and back until I finally, I think, found the first person to say it was a famous editor at the early version of HarperCollins, Harper and Rowe. And what she said was, a good book can change a young person's life. And the right book at the right time could save a young person's life. Some of the power in young adult literature is its ability to validate lives, to say to a young reader, your life not only counts, but you're perfectly fine just the way you are. I guess I sound like Fred Rogers, don't I? You know, oftentimes young people grow up in an environment where they're not offered a lot of different identities to choose from. But in young adult literature, they can find a protagonist who is like 
them. And I think I've interviewed over 300 young adult authors, and they say this over and over again. It used to be letters, <laughs> now emails, that they get emails by the thousands every year of young people saying, you told my life story. How did you know? And I feel so much better about myself now. And I also know some authors and book genres to look at. So young adult literature helps young people to not only discover who they are, but also to uh, maybe create the version of themselves that they can uh, live with for the rest of their lives, to love themselves and be the best version of themselves. Well, that's great. And this course definitely covers or tries to tie in a lot of different identities and different perspectives. So how did you all decide what what types of topics to include in this particular course? Well, I think you're looking at the wonder team here, the ex-professors, the uh, revengers, (laughs) 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 something like that. So each of us took our superpowers and took two weeks, and then we came together for the seventh week to look at career paths, and we we each took a part of that. So each of the two weeks of the course is based on the strengths of each. And, you know, this is unusual to have three superstar YA professors. Most universities don't have that. ASU is uh, kind of special that way. And this class, oh, my gosh, you can't take a class like this anywhere else. That's true. I definitely think it highlights a lot of the opportunities in the ASU online classes that are available to all different types of learners and the way that we put our courses together. So I, I would definitely agree with you there. What What are you hoping students learn in this course? Like, Tell us some of the learning objectives and, and how they interact with the novels and the literature, and then what they're going to take away. Well, one thing is that they come away from this course loving YA Lit, internalizing the passion for it that the YA Lit community has, and also how they personally, individually fit into this puzzle. And so we've got, as uh, as Gabe said, uh, homosexual Latinidad uh, books and authors, and we've got some uh, diversity internationally and nationally. You know, so many students who will take this class will either be or be teaching young people from such diverse backgrounds that this course will show them, hey, there's stuff out there that fits you and fits your students. And here's how you find it. And here's what it's all about. I want to bring in Kathleen Hicks, again, the director of online programs for the English department to tell us a little bit about this collaborative model and and how you brought together this variety of expertise and, and passion for all different types of YA. So why are you using the collaborative model for this course? I think as Jim attested to with the Revengers, it's an excellent opportunity to really get together a stellar group of people that have obviously passion, but also a range of expertise that we can expose our students to. I see this as a fantastic opportunity to bring our online students in contact more regularly with the range of faculty that we have here on campus. So it provides them an opportunity that our in-person students get to indulge in a little bit more regularly. So I think it brings that to the course. Um, And then also practically, one of the objectives of the collaborative development is to kind of spread the heavy lifting of course development across faculty. So this allows us the opportunity to, you know, help faculty engage in this project with both passion and feasibility. So we have that aspect. And then I just love the way collaborative development brings multiple perspectives to students, not only in the context 
content that they're receiving, but there's something, I'm a course development nerd, there's something amazing about watching, you know, three great minds get together and kind of work through what can a course look like? What do we want students to take away from this? They get to exchange ideas about how they teach the course across their experiences, which we don't always get to do that as often as we'd like. And so this exchange of ideas, I think, results in a really unique product and unique projects for students to engage in. So overall, I think it just really increases the engagement of an online online course overall. Can I just stop the conversation for a moment? I want to pay some homage to Kathleen Hicks. Wait, let me check. Yes, we can stop the conversation for one moment. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Kathleen is so fun to work with. She is truly a trailblazer and she's into trying new things, which is always fun for an instructional designer. Kathleen and I worked on a project a couple of years ago as a part of the Learning Futures Collaboratory to introduce more digital literacy skills into our classroom assessment strategies. And she is so wonderful. It's so important to have a good leader at the helm of these unique design considerations like collaborative design. Um, So yeah, it's just so exciting for me to know that she's part of this. And uh, yeah, so let's just hear about how this project went and see if any other unique skills are used in expressing their learning in ENG 471. Ready to get back to the show, Mary? Yes, we can go back to the show now. Let me make sure that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. (laughs) See, we're collaborating. (laughs) We're good collaborators. (laughs) And with the success of this particular course, do you see the English department applying this model and more courses going forward? Oh, yes, absolutely. We've done it in some other courses. We have some other collaborative developments going on right now. Like if the course is well suited to it and we have the faculty who are available to participate, we're definitely interested in applying this model whenever we can. So this question is is for the whole group. I mean, what was your personal experience designing in a collaborative way this particular course? How was it different from what you've done before or was it what you expected? It was a lot of fun. When you design a course on your own, you're really focused on what you're bringing to the course and what you know about the topic. And this was just a good opportunity to learn from my colleagues in a different way. When we're in meetings together, we're not necessarily talking about how we're approaching teaching our individual courses. And so it was just wonderful to be able to have these kinds of conversations and, and learn from from them. I'll piggyback off what Sybil said. I love learning and having this opportunity. I've never worked in the creation of a course with somebody else. It's always been by myself. And seeing what we were doing, what we were bringing to the table and texts and readings and the novels and books that we're using, I'm like, oh, I haven't read this. I haven't looked at this. I haven't heard of this. And it's just an opportunity just to grow as a researcher, but also as a teacher. And it worked really, really well. And I loved the process of creating this course. And you all have developed to this course or taught this course in person. So what types of elements did you want to transfer from that in-person experience to the online experience? We really tried to explore the online environment and do more things you can't do in, in person. And, and I think it's it's very special in, in that way. One of the things that, that I learned, and I have to tell you that 15 years ago, 4,000 young adult books were published each year, about 4,000. Last year, 14,000. It's hard to keep up with it all. And uh, Dr. Durand and Dr. Acevedo, uh, I learned so many titles from them. And each week, 
the students get to pick from another set of books, the book that'll fit the topic for the week and that also fits them. That's a great point. And that's one of my next questions is how were the titles chosen for this course? Because there are so many and students do get to pick. So how do you narrow it down from 14,000 to less than 100? So when I started at ASU, I asked Jim if he would share his syllabus with me. And his approach for the undergraduate in-person class was to have students read 30 books in one semester. And so I started with that list. And every year, because new books come out, we add to the list and we we pull books out that didn't do so well. We add new books in. So each of us have curated our own book lists. And so what um, my idea for figuring out which titles to use was to, to merge them. And so we had over 100 books <laughs> to choose from. And then to break it down by once we figured out which topics, um, which books had to be in there. And I always like to include this this choice for students so that they can know that No one book is going to do the topic justice. Uh, No one book can cover all the the nuances that that we explore in the topic. And that by, by them having the choice to pick from a list, not only are they learning about that particular book, but they also get to hear their classmates discuss the books that they chose and what typically happens in class is that then they say, oh, I have to add this book to my to-read list now. And some students will say, I bought all the books. (laughs) So I'll give them a a list of 30 and they're like, I couldn't pick. I just bought all the books. Pick one to read for that week. And I know um, based on what other people are saying about the book, that's next on my my reading list. So really it provides them with exposure to not only the diversity of text, but, but how broad the collection are. And that way that they're not thinking we all had to read this one book for this one topic and now we're done. Yeah, if I could add, the book list actually ended up being a really big hit in this course. Looking at the student feedback, um, there were lots of comments about joy at the choices and just the variety of text. So there's a lot of positive feedback on the text choices in this particular course. It's hard not to find something that resonates with you with a list like that. And I wanted to add that this idea of providing such big lists for students, which for me is sometimes hard because I want to include every single book out there and I can't because I don't know them all. Um, but it gives students agency and choice on what they're picking to read. And like Sybil said, it gives them the opportunity to like, oh, this person chose this book. Now I'm interested in this book. I want to learn more about this. What if this book gives me a different perspective from this topic? Something that personally I didn't have growing up in schools. It was one book for 30 students and it was the same thing and the different approaches that each text provides to a topic seen through the eyes of each individual student just enhances the learning process for all of them. If I could say one one more thing about the books, I've had to learn to say to the students, if you don't see a book on this list that resonates with you, can you recommend one or suggest one that does? I'll add it to the list. And also, if there's a book on this list that's problematic for some reason, will you please let me know? And recently, there's been a book, and I won't say any titles, uh, but it's a huge award winner, and yet its representation of a, uh, a Korean character is not very good. And so we've taken that one out. 
So you all had talked a lot about students seeing themselves in the characters of the books and being able to talk about it and ask questions. And if they don't have, if they don't find a book that they like, they could recommend a different book. So did you all use a discussion tool in the course that allowed students to really engage with each other and and talk about YA in general? Yeah, this course, actually, we decided to employ Yellow Dig in this course for the discussion. So it's kind of an open discussion where students have the opportunity to bring their thoughts and ideas about the books they're reading in, in a pretty fluid, kind of authentic exchange. Sorry to interrupt again, sure. but Yellow Dig, oh, what is that? I love Yellow Dig. Yellow Dig's awesome. <laughs> Yellow Dig is like a social media-esque experience for students, but in a closed venue of Yellow Dig. It's not no one can really just get into it. You have to be mm-hmm. in the class. But they use a lot of dynamic interaction tools. Like you can record mm-hmm. your responses. You can draw on things that you upload. You oh. can, you know, post a link to a website and it creates like a little preview tile like you do on social media. And then there's different ways to interact too. So you can emote using emojis or liking someone's post or an instructor can use an accolade like a badge to show them that they really liked their post. So there's a lot of dynamic ways to communicate emotively. And then also it's auto-graded. So from the faculty's perspective, awesome experience. They don't have to worry about what the students are writing. It's already grading it for them, which might actually be kind of hard for some of our faculty. They have to let go because this space is for students. It's for the students and in their formation of learning. It's a formative tool for learning experiences. Wow. I wish that I loved anything as much as Mary Loder loves instructional technology. I really do love instructional (laughs) technology. I'm such a nerd. And that's another thing that received a lot of positive feedback from students as well. They enjoyed the yellow dig. They enjoyed the opportunity to discuss the literature with one another. And actually, there was a lot of positive feedback about the book talks as well. So each week, there's the opportunity for them to engage in a yellow dig discussion and then complete a book talk on their selected I don't mean to brag, but like there was a lot of positive feedback on every aspect of this course. Please brag away. That's great. That's great. It is because that's such a great course. So with all of the titles and conversations and identity that you wanted to cover, how did you decide which topics would be covered in just seven modules? Because we have a little bit of the history of YA. We have representation of different communities. We have censorship. We have career paths. How do you take such a broad genre and narrow it down to five to seven modules? We have lots of conversations about it. So before even committing to a list of topics, we peppered Kathleen with a lot of questions. We wanted to know the parameters of the course, right? And our goal wasn't to develop an online version of a course that we taught in person. Our goal was to develop the best online course that we could to give students the best experience that they could have through this modality. And to do that, we needed to know what were the parameters of the course and not necessarily to think of them as limitations, but the framework that we could play within. And so we started with lots of questions. How many students? Who's going to teach this course? You know, how long is it? And when we did that, then we started sharing notes between the three of us about what are the most important topics that we taught in our own courses that we would want to see reflected here. And the thing is, there were a lot of overlaps already because we're 
we're like-minded in that way. Then it was then about narrowing down to if this is the only course on young adult literature that students take, what do we want them walking away with? And these ended up being the topics. And to me, they make sense and they, they continue to hold true. I'm tying into what you mentioned about what you want students to walk away with. Your particular area expertise is representation. So if you could tell us a little bit about why that was important to you, why it was, why it's important to the YA genre, what you'd like students to take away, um, and with regards to representation when they walk away from this course. So to me, this connects with the two modules that Jim teaches right before, which is the history of young adult literature and with censorship. If you think about the history of young adult literature, which Jim can talk a little bit more about, there was a a lack of representation. So it was mostly representing stories from dominant culture and students who are, uh, or people who are from marginalized communities or historically marginalized communities were less represented or poorly represented. And recently, I would say in the last five, 10 years, there's been an explosion of these texts. So part of our approach, um, which is for students to understand the historical um, lineage of young adult literature is also to become aware of the turn, the recent turn in publishing in young adult literature, which means understanding this increase in representation in terms of race, ethnicity, gay covers, queer identities, disabilities, and mental health. And these have become important topics in young adult literature because young adult literature tends to reflect the social issues that we all experience in contemporary life, and we want to make sure that these are represented here. In terms of race and ethnicity specifically, because there's so many good books out there that students might not necessarily pick up for themselves, this this particular module is an opportunity for them to either find a book that mirrors their own identities that they have not seen before. So I've had too many students, uh, for instance, who are Native American, who say that this is the first time that they've read a book by an Indigenous author in this class. Um, and so that that's an important component of the course. So either for them to find a book that, that mirrors their own identities and experiences, or to find a book that they get to explore somebody else's life. And so in terms of race and ethnicity, because we are a diverse nation, we live in a diverse community, ASU is a diverse university and campus, it's just a good opportunity for students to explore and get to know and find out about texts that represent all these different communities. Um, Now, Gabe, the modules that you helped build out in the course also focus on representation. Did you want to add anything? Yes, absolutely. For me, it's very important for students and for myself as a teacher to see ourselves in what we read. I never had that growing up. I grew up reading the canon, um, which is great and all, but I, I missed seeing myself as a Puerto Rican man, as somebody who identifies within the queer spectrum. It's very important to see stories, read stories, and engage with stories that represent my identities and who I am and things that I'm going through. So, approaching both of my modules, which I work with queerness and disabilities and mental health, you know, I identify with both of them. I identify in the queer spectrum. When I was younger, I had a learning disability and working and being able to give students the opportunity to see and engage themselves with 
those readings is very important to me. And like Sybil said, it's not only seeing yourself in them, but having the opportunity to live through somebody else's eyes and seeing other representations is what what's important to me and giving them those specific modules in the social climate that we're living in is very, very important. And, you know, this course, not only does it bring those types of ideas and topics to the learner through the text and the, the novels that you are all are reading, but um, we also have podcasts worked into this course in, in various spots in the modules. And you helped develop the podcast final assessment for this particular course, and you have a lot of experience with podcasts. Do you want to touch a little bit on why podcasts? Why, you know, why podcasts work really well with the YA genre and how you worked them into the course as well? Absolutely. Um, I Like you mentioned, I do have experience with podcasts. I have podcasts um, on my own. Teaching should be fun. <laughs> That's one of my first things. I think teaching and learning should be fun. And I know when we teach or students take literature courses, they come in with a set of ideas that I'm going to read and I'm going to write essays and I'm going to write responses. And that's great. But I also think there are other ways to engage with young adult literature. And in this digital age, in this technology wave that we're living in and in the post-COVID world, I think bringing in podcasts as forms of assessment can engage students in ways that other type of written assessments might not. It gives them liberty to be creative. It gives them an opportunity to just engage in a conversational manner and go in depth to what they're thinking about what they're engaging with without the parameters of like, I have to do an essay, a five paragraph essay. I have to have my topic sentence connect with my, with my thesis statement. This is an, formal assessment that allows them the openness to just work around those corners and really think and have conversation with their peers about what they're reading. And it's something that they think, oh, this is, it could be fun. It's going to be informal. No, there are parameters in it. And they don't realize that they are actually thinking and asking questions and having this conversation with each other in a way that they might not do in an essay, but they're going in. And I think it's just fun and engaging for students. And we don't just throw them into the deep end, right? We introduce <laughs> po other podcasts like YA podcasts that they can listen to at the beginning of the course. And then in the middle of the course, we have them do a little bit of outlining and maybe compare those to the podcasts that are actually provided so that they can prepare to write their own podcasts as the final assessment. <laughs> Hey, Mary. Uh, so I noticed that Gabe mentioned formative assessments. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. Formative assessments are, well, it's, you know, the word forming. It's forming the learning. So you're judging or grading or assessing how the students are doing in their journey to create their learning path. So mm. it's not the summation of their learning. It's like as they start to learn and build blocks and create a foundation. Tell us a little bit about what is important to know about the instructions in a podcast, like for those students who might come across a podcast in one of their courses or for instructors that are listening who might want to add podcasts into their assessment formats. Like what goes into the instructions and how do you get students to actually produce a quality podcast, knowing that they're 
a novice at this. Um, so what would they be graded on? What should they look out for? Yeah, um, I think the first thing I always tell students when I when I talk about the podcast is that they're supposed to be fun, like I said, and it's okay. I'm not looking for a professional recording with effects and editing. It's a conversation. I want them to have fun. So if there's the occasional mistake, leave it in. That makes it just interesting to to listen to as not only as a teacher, but just as a listener to podcast. Yes, like I said, this is an assessment. It is a formal assignment and there has to be format and quality and the integration and analysis of content, which is something that is established for students. And like you said, we give them podcasts to listen to. And I'm like, have those conversations, listen to that. Now have your own topics and your own conversations about what you're reading, your books, your topics, bring in the context from the class, but it doesn't have to be, like I said before, a topic sentence. It just becomes a natural progression of integrating and making sense of what they read. That's one of the things that I love about this type of assessment is that it makes it real for them. My experience with formative assessment sometimes is that, oh, it's a paper and that's that. It's for a grade. This is making sense to them and it's helping them integrate it into their own lives. Podcasts have become part of our culture. We just put one on in the car, in our offices. So it's just real and it makes what they're learning real for them and it makes them integrated in real ways that work outside of the classroom. All right. So thanks for everyone for being here today. I wanted to ask just kind of a few final questions. Being the instructional designer working with you all, it's been an absolute pleasure. But I do have some kind of a higher level general questions that I'd love to get your feedback on. Did this model, this collaborative model, obviously we've had a lot of positive student feedback, but for you as an instructor, did it produce the course that you had hoped for? And would you do it again? Absolutely. So my goal whenever I develop a course is that by the end, I want to take it. And this is absolutely true for this one. I want to take this course. I want I want to interact with other people who read lots of different kinds of texts. I want to see the video lectures that my colleagues produced and learn from that. I've actually, this is the first podcast that I've done. So even doing that, the assignment that Gabe developed, I think would be an amazing learning opportunity for me. So I could see myself as a student in that class. And I think I learned a lot from collaborating really just on the, the topics and the assignments. But by the end, I want to take the course. And I think uh, well, at least to me, we achieved that, that this is a course that is appealing to all students, myself included. Can I just say, I'm really glad to hear Sybil say that because we do have this course, a different version of it, teaching it at the graduate level. And I would love to bring this team back together in the future to work on that course as well. Absolutely. That would be great to see the development, the continuation of the ideas and topics and, and bring in all of you know, more of the research aspect, not just kind of the pop culture phenomenon, but the way that the genre develops based on research and what students can do and look forward to if they do go into YA as a profession, which is actually one of the modules in the course. So students can select 
from the type of career paths that are potential options for them. And then they actually get to choose what they might study and learn about so that they could apply it to themselves. Was there any kind of feedback on those particular modules? Or have you ever taught about career paths in YA before? There was some feedback on students kind of enjoying the interviews with other YA professionals into the course. And students really enjoyed that perspective. That's right. There were interviews worked in. So we didn't just have podcasts, but we had lectures and we had interviews and we had choice and we had choice amongst novels. So this class, this class is very dynamic. I think it's a you put together an excellent example of what the collaborative development model can produce. And, and to that, the idea of going back to the, the, the module of the pathways and the possibilities that YL allows, one of my favorite modules is the career paths, because I've never taught career paths linked to young adult literature, but I love that we came up with that module because it allows, it allowed me as an educator to see so many pathways that we can go with young adult literature. And I can only imagine the, just the, oh, wow, eyes of students realizing that they could teach, they could write, they could publish, they could edit. And that's something that I don't think is seen as much in literature courses. And I'm so happy that this is in this course because it allows students to see there are so many possibilities and things to do, like Jim said, with young adult literature. It's just not a book translated into a movie and then I'll see it and then I I don't have to read, I'll see the movie. It's so much more than that. And I really love that we did that. That module came out of us really thinking about the students, about who takes the course. And so, so part of developing the course is thinking about the topic, not the subject, but we also wanted to keep in mind who typically takes this course. And it's, um, education, secondary education majors, creative writers, literature majors, marketing and publishing, and then some other other majors that we don't know about. And we wanted them to, we wanted to create something that helped them to really connect to young adult literature um, and their, their field of study. And that's how that module came about, which I think was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot from, from, from it as well. What advice would you give to other instructors who are thinking about um, using this either collaborative model or this setup of types of modules? I think one thing that's really important is to come to it with an open mind. It's a very different experience for most instructors. And so being able to be open to what your colleagues have to offer to the process is critically important. And then just from a logistical perspective, projects like this do take a little bit more heavy-handed management. And so having someone who can be on top of the group and keep everyone uh, moving in the same direction is is super helpful. Sometimes we get so passionate about our ideas that can be a little bit of a hang-up. But as long as someone has the long view in mind, uh, we can meet those milestones and keep going. There's so much to share. I mean, I remember in those planning (laughs) meetings... We had a lot to talk about. Everyone was very excited. I I, I might add that um, uh, Christine and Kathleen are the gurus of how to do this. Listen to what they say. My video, some of them, I'm not really looking into the camera. And Christine caught that and taught me how to do it. And my wife had looked at it and said, what are you looking at? Um, (laughs) She, she, uh, Christine, helped uh, helped a lot with that until it looks better. It looks better. One of the things I appreciate was that we we had deadlines. And so we would come together to talk and then go off individually 
quickly and sort of brainstorm, come back as a small subgroup to talk through some of the some of the choices that we needed to make. But Christine and Kathleen, they kept us on schedule <laughs> with some flexibility, but we had a framework for that. And I think we needed to be open to let go of some things. And so not everything made it. Some ideas didn't make it and to be okay with that. Right. So lots of flexibility, but also moving forward and getting getting stuff done and and having um, we had lots of resources as well to to work with to be able to develop the course and and make progress which was really nice it's a great model i'm up for doing it again i think it's fantastic like it was said before open mind that's one of the biggest things and be aware that you won't be able to put in everything that you want especially in yal because there's so much so you can do courses of years of courses with this topic and we, it still won't be enough but make sure that what you put in works for the team that created it and like Sybil said you're thinking about the students what works for the students and what will they walk away with thinking if there's one thing that they walk away with you did your job well thank you all so much for being here today I really appreciated your time and getting to hear your thoughts on how we finished up the course and um, how the experience came together for you all. But we have a little bit more time, just a few more seconds for each of you. If you wanted to plug any projects or websites or podcasts that either you produce um, or you participate in or you just like to share today. May I plug El Dia de los Niños, El Dia de los Libros, which is our celebration of children and uh, literacy and, and, and culture. And we've, we've put it on in person until this past year. And this past year, we did it virtually, and it went all over the world to seven different countries and a thousand different kids. And if you want your class of uh, upper elementary, middle school, uh, high school to participate in this, we're expanding even farther this year. Uh, we're in the Philippines, we're in Malaysia, Indonesia, India, Bangladesh. We're going to expand to Tanzania and Nigeria and other places as, as well as uh, uh, Mexico and South America. Well, I, I guess I could say, um, in addition to this course, uh, Gabe and I mostly teach the the graduate young adult literature course, which is a lot of fun and ex- and explores in more depth um, some of the research aspect, um, advanced teaching um, ideas, and even more books. I apply some theory to that course, and so I guess I want people to know that that this course is a version, one small reflection of all the things that we can do with young adult literature um, in terms of teaching course development and research. Going with courses, um, this semester I'm teaching a pop culture class, an ENG 606. It's pop culture pedagogies. Um, I am hopeful that in the future I continue to teach either a graduate or an undergrad level version of that course. It's really fun. We take a look at pop culture beyond the idea of just using it as a tool for learning. And we look at it as theory and methods and how pop culture shapes our identity, everything from like grocery shopping. Why do you buy the brands that you buy? Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? And it's really fun. And and it's been really receptive. Students have been really receptive about it. And that's really cool. So I'm excited to keep expanding um, and bringing in, we talk about young adult literature in that course as well, bringing in different forms of learning techniques to education. What's your podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I do have a podcast outside of this just for fun. It's about pop culture, movies and television. It's called Split Real Podcast. So if you want, go check us out. It's super fun. Split 
Split Real Podcast. Split Real Podcast. Okay, and we'll have that in the episode notes for anyone who's looking for more information or to get in touch with any of our instructors or Dr. Kathleen Hicks. Thank you all for coming. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Wow. What a great conversation and what a great team. They sound like they really like each other, which I yeah, think is yeah. important. <laughs> you know, the, the day that they came and recorded, they were so excited to see each other in person. There was hugs and all kinds of stuff going on here. It was lots of really good energy. Mm-hmm. I just, good job to Kathleen on creating that experience for them, right. creating the space for them to share their expertise and you know, the experiences of being a faculty member and having all of their unique experiences inform the one experience that other faculty will get to teach off of. It's really cool. Yeah, very cool. And I think that they're not the A-team. They're the Y-A team. Oh, Is that that's good. good. I like, like that? that. The Y-A team. <laughs> so good. We'll put Jim in like uh, gold chains. In the mohawk. Yeah, totally. He could rock the mohawk. He's got that aura. He could do it. <laughs> So Mary, what can the listener do? Like and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. And then in two weeks, come back because we're going to have another show. Oh, sounds good. Where can they find these shows? They can find them anywhere. Anywhere. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Apple, Spotify, everywhere. But you can also come to Teach Online. That's our hub for sharing all of the knowledge that we've accumulated over the last decade with ASU Online. So it's a great spot to dig in and listen to our podcast and maybe read some articles. Excellent. Core Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media team at EdPlus at Arizona State University. Core Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at corestories at asu.edu. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your core story and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. The truth is, I got second. The medal's <laughs> on, it's already there. I've never, I've the never truth, told anybody the, the truth, truth that comes I got second. Out. Just kidding. And, uh, uh, I That's did not okay. know I needed that, but I needed that. <laughs> so, you why, why is everybody laughing, Jim? I don't know. <laughs>